Well, hey there. I hope you're doing well today. We're pretty tired, but we're really excited to present to you this podcast episode with the Reverend Matthew Gonzalez, pastor of Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in the Bronx, and Joshua Salzberg, who is a layperson and a guy in the film industry. These guys have been putting their effort into this project to help address the problem of racism within Germanic Lutheran culture. This isn't to uh, throw stones at any individuals necessarily or, or even institutions as such, but to just simply talk about something that Stacy and I know pretty darn well, that there is a trend within Lutheran land where there's a kind of cultural connection between Lutheranism and, in our case, German culture. You may be familiar with the somewhat out of favor Prairie Home Companion guy, Garrison Keeler, and he used to tell Lutheran jokes on the radio. Well, those weren't really Lutheran jokes often, they were Scandinavian jokes. The very question of the heritage being connected to a church, this isn't new. Korean Presbyterians, I know, face this question. Um, I've recently gone online to see, what if a person wanted to join the Ethiopian Orthodox Church? And uh, what would that look like? And, uh, and uh, would that be weird? It was kind of just a thought experiment I had. What would, that, what would that be like to go to some of these other churches? Answer seems relatively straightforward, the Ethiopian Orthodox thing. Um, but nonetheless, there are churches that serve immigrant communities and for the foundation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, what you have are these Saxons who, who show up in the United States fleeing kind of a state-driven attempt to force people uh, into the same generic church and they got to America and they saw Lutherans had intermarried with Presbyterians and what's worse, with Wesleyans and Baptists and oh, who knows what other uh, ilk, and that this sort of watered down the original tradition. And so there are very strong and, and obvious sociological reasons why this would be the case, and yet, skip forward to the 21st century. We're facing uh, all sorts of crises today and, and challenges, and these gentlemen, Gonzalez and Salzburg, are going to talk with us about the work they've been doing with Lutherans for Racial Justice and, and how this might help heal and reconcile in our day. They think that they have the biblical, theological, and confessional high ground. These folks are out there, and uh, it doesn't do us any good to ignore it, and we don't have to look at this as a, as a matter of combat or even hatred or animosity, but rather an opportunity for sharing positive stories that will help transform the way we think about each other. Who is our neighbor, and how can we be more neighborly? And how can we do this as part of the way, the way of Jesus? Hopefully, you're at least kind of following along with us or standing right beside us, or maybe you're even leading the charge. But whoever you are and wherever you are on the way, Godspeed and safe travels, friends. Let's go. So we're here with Josh Salzberg and Matthew Gonzalez, uh, two great guys with Lutherans for Racial Justice. How are you doing, gents? So good. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, excited to be here. We've been wanting to do this for a while. And, uh, and you know, as, as sometimes news events kind of propel things forward, that makes sense for a time. And then people kind of, uh, you know, settle in on it. But as you've probably realized, this is not a conversation, especially in conservative religious circles, that's going to be a quick and easy kind of conversation. In fact, um, as we'll get to maybe in a little bit, uh, there's probably folks that don't like the fact they're even talking about what you're talking about. Uh, but uh, if I may just introduce the conversation with with some of my own my own fears or, or perspectives that I've seen so far, as I've been in in Christian higher education in the last ten years. That's about half of my time. I've been in Lutheran higher education. And one of the things that's been very um, frightening to me about the Lutheran circles in which I travel is something that's been paralleled in Eastern Orthodoxy, 
Now, in Eastern Orthodoxy in America, you have this unique situation where the church is very much an ethnic church, a European church, albeit an Eastern European church. And the kind of the converts or the more recent converts find some aspects of it really attractive in one thing in particular. And this is not the Eastern Orthodox friends that I have, but the, sometimes the converts. But there is this idea that reclaiming the ethnic identity of the church is important. And if they don't go to the East, they say, well, I want to do the same thing in, in my Lutheran circles. But you couple that with some research, uh, folks that have run into in the Eastern Orthodox circles of his, history and then contemporary uh, surveys of what's going on said that there are actually uh, very clear lines of uh, pieces of evidence that show that the Russian, Ukrainian, and Greek churches have been systematically targeted by essentially secular or even atheistic white nationalist uh, groups because they realize that young people and, and people in general need an ethos. They need a community. And so church is a place that you can kind of take over and bring these other ideologies into it. And he cautioned me, maybe uh, one scholar cautioned me maybe six, seven years ago, said it's coming your way. And I didn't believe him. And in more recent years, I've found myself in these online battles with anonymous people that are proud of their white nationalism. And so that's one of the main reasons I wanted to get you on the show, because we really are appreciative of the work you're doing. But maybe we can start out by saying, how did this project get started? Uh, what 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 was the impetus for it? After that lovely, nuanced, very intelligent intro, I, I need to caveat the conversation with saying, uh, Matt and I do not have all the answers to this conversation. <laughs> uh, we're approaching this with a lot of humility. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's how it got started as well, um, was coming from a place of uh, Matt, Matt and I and, and others. Um, and, and, you know, we're kind of the faces of Lutherans for Racial Justice uh, uh, out of necessity, um, but there's, there's a, a broader team and, uh, you know, a big, big group involved. And um, yeah, it was conversations that were happening, you know, among us uh, around the country where it felt like you kind of had to whisper about, it, you know, is uh, our racial tension something we can talk about? Are our issues around uh, race something we can talk about? And uh, after a while, we realized that, you know, having a permission structure in place is really all we needed <laughs> to feel co uh, comfortable, more comfortable talking up uh, or speaking up. And um, so that's what we were hoping to be able to offer, you know, other people that are interested in engaging in these conversations. Um, that's my angle on it, but I'll let Matt give his. <laughs> Josh is always um, the kinder, more, more tactful, uh, uh, you know, uh, when he speaks of such approaches. For me, it was an issue of saying, you know, I'm a Latino, Puerto Rican uh, male in the LCMS. And the older I got, the more aware I was of how even, you know, my own grouping of people weren't, uh, certainly weren't as prevalent and, and uh, <laughs> weren't as popular. I'll say it that way. Um, and for me, it was a thing. I, I, I've really gotten to a point where I'm just, I look at it and I say this, we are doing Anything that we're doing in these conversations is faithful to scripture. Um, and I would even argue, you know, for those who want to start to try to bring in the confessions to defend their uh, racism, um, it's faithful to the confessions as well. It's faithful to what we believe as Lutheran Christians. And so um, until that's disproved, I'll just say it that way. Um, I don't see why we wouldn't talk about it because it's obviously something that people are facing. And in our own church body, it's obviously something we haven't been very good at because um, for me, when people always, you know, the question is always, what's the goal of this? And I always say, personally, I would hope that our congregations reflect the locales in which they exist because they don't right now. And that's what it boils down to. And, and so for those who make the argument, well, there's not a lot of people of color near us, um, and that may be true in some parts of, of, you know, the country and I'm understanding of that and all these kinds of things. My problem is that's become the crutch and the excuse for not doing any kind of, uh, evangelism. I'll go that far to say it. And it's like, if people don't feel 
comfortable in our setting, we don't want them there. And my thing is, no, we as people of faith need to be really good at being uncomfortable because that's what we should be all the time. Because if we're comfortable, that means that we're leaning into our sin instead of resting into the truth of the fact that we're sinners and we need to be made uncomfortable by the Holy Spirit. So to me, it's, it's that kind of thing um, that drives it. And then the other thing is personal experience. I mean, I'll, I'll just be honest, you know, I'm in the Bronx, New York, super diverse here. Congregations reflect that because these are the people that we're reaching, but I've been to national events, uh, regional events, LCMS based events where you show up and, you know, the, the young people you're bringing or the adults you're bringing don't look like anyone else there. And then they come back and they're saying, why? And, I don't have a good answer. You know, um, I have only terrible <laughs> answers and we just, you know, to me, that was the driving force behind it. Um, along with, of course, you know, the catalyst was the the murder of right. George Floyd. Um, and that really kind of sparked it all for us. So. Yeah, that was a good answer. Just use Matt's answer. You just can edit mine. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned that you slightly touched on um, some of the initial perceptions, um, you know, mentioning you were questioned about your goals and things like that. But uh, what has been, you know, s- some of the other perception of what you're doing? Have you been given a lot of grief for it or have people been supportive? What has been your experience? Uh, I-, I was going to let Josh go because he'll probably be more diplomatic. But I'll just say it's actually been very um it's, I think it's been uniquely polarizing. I'll say it that yeah. way. We've had a significant number of people come out and say, thank, and they've been honest with us, but, you know, basically saying like, we are thanking God that somebody said something. And, and we were like, we're thanking God for you that you're saying something too kind of thing. And so we've had a lot of people doing that and been super supportive. And that's been really uplifting. And then we've had the opposite uh, poll where, We've had people, I mean, you know, cries of Marxism and critical race theory and, and I mean, just some ridiculous, um, you know, conflation with other issues in, in, I mean, some of the issues, I'm not even sure how they're creating the conflation, to be honest with you, but all mm-hmm. kinds of things that are being brought forth and, and, and just to, to try to demonize it and weaponize it as if we are, um, you know, now being, uh, unfaithful. I mean, we've been called satanic, all kinds of things. So, you know, you, really the, the polarizing nature of it has been interesting. Um, but I'll be honest, I've been encouraged by, um, and maybe this is because those who are kind of nervous to be against it haven't said as much, but you've either had people really intense, kind of almost on an extreme, but you've had a lot more supportive people. And even those who are, who are interested you know, who are like, I want to support, but tell me more because I'm nervous or I don't know how to explain it to my congregation or I'm not sure I fully understand it and I have questions. And once we engage those conversations, you know, overwhelmingly, the support has been really good. So that's been that's been I think I've been excited by that. Um, Josh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I hope Matt's OK with me mentioning this. Uh, it, it is interesting. The kind of, um, you know, critique maybe I get versus Matt, because um, I'm a layperson, uh, lifelong right. Lutheran, uh, went to Lutheran schools, um, you know, the, the whole deal. Uh, but uh, there is this dynamic within the Lutheran church uh, where, um, you know, it's okay to critique a, a pastor colleague, but a pastor critiquing a, or or talking down or threatening a layperson is, uh uh, I don't. You know, I don't know if it's just frowned upon or if there's actual legal recourse I could take. But I, mm-hmm. either way, it is interesting that you know Matt's received some violent threats, um, and mm-hmm. uh, when uh, there's been some papers that have been put forward by some district leaders. By the way, we've received lots of support from other district leaders. Um, you know, it, it calls out uh, Matt particularly, um, you know, and not me. And so I think it's something interesting to be aware of for anyone that is not a church worker (laughs) that might be listening. Um, I kind of feel like that's my superpower um, in all of this, not to give away the game, Uh, but I have nothing... Uh, I have nothing to lose here, uh, which I am respectful of of Matt and other pastors who or church workers who careers whose careers are on the line uh, for speaking up. Um, but for you know, for me, that's why um, part of the impetus for for myself to get involved for for my spouse um, is that 
you know, we, we realized we kind of separated our lives. We were living our church life. And then in our other life, you know, we were getting involved in, in, you know, some social issues or, you know, issues around racial justice. Um, and, and we realized like that was kind of a, we were living a lie <laughs> a little bit. Um, and we were complicit in any, you know, racism that, that we're talking about um, because we were pretending like we could divide those lives. Like our, our, our church and secular life were different in some way. You know, I think being in the Bronx, being a New Yorker and kind of growing up in Lutheranism out here, I'll use the, uh, 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 I don't know if it's a local colloquialism or one that is now national, but you know, out here, we're with all the smoke, AKA we're with whatever people want to bring. And there's no nerves for us in terms of, you know, I, like I said, I would love for somebody to show me how the work for racial justice is unfaithful. Um, I'm, I, I, I would be, I'm, I'm, I, we want to be humble in our approach. If somebody really feels that way and says, you know, scripture speaks these ways, and this is why this is wrong. I'm open to a conversation. My struggle is consistently when we bring out you know, so many different parts of scripture that speak to why we need to be doing this. There's always kind of the, well, but you're, you know, here's the political reason why. And I'm like, why did you bring that up where this isn't a political issue for us? This is a legitimate scriptural issue of our faith and the spirit's moving us to do this. So why are you going that direction? So anyway, that's kind of where, where I'm at. You know, when, when, uh, things started up last summer with Lutherans for racial justice, um, uh, you know, we learned a lot about what it means to get involved in a in a movement like this, um, because every day we're questioning, are we are we going about this in the, the healthiest, best way or are we making problems worse? Uh, you know, so we're it is a challenging thing uh, to do that. But we are trying to embody this the sentence teaching the Lutheran Church, Missouri's teaching on racism, which does have if you go to our about us page, um, you know, we outline, you know, what the synod itself teaches about racism. Um, and so for us, if there's a problem with Lutheran's racial justice, I, we kind of kick the question back to the Synod and go, please engage with your church body. Um, uh, we're, you know, we're just seeking to embody uh, the teaching that's already there. You can find all this information at lutheransforracialjustice.com. Now, I have an answer, I think, uh, that ties in with other conversations we've had about abusiveness in the church as to why it is that you're perceived as problematic. It's the same problem with uh, folks speaking out about sexual abuse in churches and church-related schools, and that is, if you speak too loudly about this, you are bad for the brand. So they, the, the perception is what's bad for the brand is Josh and Matt saying that we've got a problem instead of the problem. <laughs> Look, let alone, before you guys came along, uh, you know, the church was in decline numerically. Some people were saying we need to procreate more, like that was their solution. And um, that sounds very racist to me. I'm not saying that people that said it were racist, but it's the, the conception is flawed. And bringing that up, however, is seen as you uh, potentially being unfaithful. I'd say that I, I had I had heat, you know, modest heat. I'm always in some kind of heat, but um, modest heat, just retweeting your stuff. So if I retweeted something that you said, people are saying, oh, look, you know, th there it is. And now look, they're going to, you know, Concordia Irvine's getting infiltrated by the critical race theory that this is the real problem. Like the real problem we have isn't people getting killed in the streets or just the Great Commission not being, you know, executed at all. At the level of the, the measurements, looking at what are we doing, something's not working. And it's very possible that the things that we're identifying are things that if we can fix them, we can be more effective. Take the cap off the fountain here and let, let the water flow, you know. Well, and this is the trick, right? Because Matt talked about he wants our congregations uh, to look like our communities. The trick is, who do you invite into your community if your community isn't welcoming and safe for them to come into? And, and that, yeah. that goes for inviting in neighbors, but also pastors. You know, we talk about like, oh, you know, we need, uh, you know, diverse pastors. But what churches are they going to go to where it's going to be safe for them to be themselves? And that's part of the challenge too. You know, you hit the nail on the head, Jeff, when you talked about how as the church, like, and historically, but especially I'd say over the last 30 years, easy. Um, and it's probably much longer than that, but I'll just speak to what I know. Um, we just, when, when problems arise, rather than and this is, was a big deal for Josh and I to really continually 
talk about us trying to approach these things with humility. The church claims we want to do things in humility, but then does everything or often does things out with pride, which is, I don't want people to know. I don't want people to see, because if they find out that we're flawed, it's almost like this weird thing of like, well, then the jig is up. And I constantly am like, no, that's the point. Then we can actually point people to Christ. Like, this is why Jesus is so valuable to, to us. Forget about why we're trying to share him with others. We need him. And it's, it's so frustrating to me how the church would rather fake it, almost as if to tell people, like, be a part of this great institution, but don't worry about being part of, like, Christ's body. And that, for me, is it's infuriating because we do it with these issues. Mm-hmm. And, and to your point, you talk about abuse in the church. There's so many issues that I could just rattle off that, I, that exactly what you said are easily applied to. And it's sad because then what happens is when people come to us who are dealing with these issues in their families or among friendships or these kinds of things, and we don't speak to them or we brush them off or we try to act like the fact that they ask the question is the problem, then people don't have a place to turn um, that is faithful. They don't have a place where they can actually seek truth from. And that to me is even more problematic because that's why you have all these alternate truths. That's why you have relative truth becoming such a popular way of thinking because the truth that we have to offer, we don't reveal it in places where it needs to speak. And we don't do it in the way that God calls us to. We'd much rather protect our institution, our way of being, and our comfort. I cannot say that enough. It's the, the desire to be comfortable that's so problematic. Mm. And I, I mean, I also see it as, you know, as Josh had mentioned about, you know, with the, you know, whether the church is a safe place or not. And, you know, if you look at, you know, what, you know, what, how, as Christians, are we supposed to interact with, you know, the, you know, even your fellow brothers and sisters in, in Christ, but also the outside community. And, you know, that I think we've lost a sense of hospitality that we, because we're afraid of maybe condoning, uh, you know, certain behavior. And we think that if we allow this in our doors, then somehow, you know, that, that we're also tainted from it or something rather than, you know, spreading the love and, and really looking at some of these things through the lens of the gospel and our unconditional, you know, love that, you know, we can now have, you know, with our fellow brother and sister. Um, But, and I also see this, that, you know, that this is very much a a gospel thing, but I hear a lot of uh, talk about, well, this is politics. And, what do you think about, you know, sort of, um, you know, your, your Christian life versus your politics and whether or not those commingle or don't, or, um, you know, how do they, how do they connect? Well, so I'm going to touch on something you said to kind of speak to what you just asked. Um, you know, a, a big piece of, of exactly what you said is that we don't like to, you know, actually, well, people don't often like to share grace and mercy when trying to, you know, discuss truth, right? Like we don't like to have those things all intermingled because it means we have to actually be forgiving and do these things that we're called to do. And people just struggle with that in in the church and historically we have. And then on top of it, to your question, you know, about the political sphere, even there, any, and this is, maybe this is more my personal opinion, but I think Josh and I are on the same page here. Um, you know, and LRJ, a lot of the people we are too, this isn't a political issue. It's not, it's a spiritual issue. And on top of it, um, I think that when we talk about people being people of faith, there is no political party. There is no political realm. There's no political sphere that fits the narrative, what it means to be faithful. Instead, I think we just need to be faithful. And then when we look at our political ideologies, we have to say, okay, where in these all these different you know political realms and parties and all these things where can we do the most uh, uh faithful work recognizing that there is no perfect place you know and and i think part of it too especially when it comes to the kind of the the conversation between faith and politics i think part of it is people don't want to think and it's a huge problem it's a desire to not 
actually be thoughtful and intentional and say, okay, I want to engage in these conversations because they're difficult. So that's kind of where I am. Go ahead, John. Yeah, and so, something we talk no something we talk about a lot is um, we're uh, not partisan. Uh, we are going to have political engagement, meaning civic engagement, and, and that's partly Matt saying the same thing there, just you know using slightly different words. This part of the problem is racial justice <laughs> is a charged phrase, mm-hmm. politics is a charged phrase. Um, so some of this takes some unpacking. Um, but yeah, it, this is not a partisan issue. Um, we've seen. Uh, historically, uh, just in America, how uh, the Democratic parties messed it up, the Republican parties messed it up. Uh, every party has has created a problem and is currently, by the way, uh, still creating problems. That doesn't mean that all sides are equal, uh, but um, this is a difficult thing as a white person for, for me to learn in this process is that um, I, I don't get some sort of like get out of jail free card because I'm uh, my face is on the Lutherans right. for Racial Justice website, and now my work mm-hmm. is done. I don't have to do any more introspection. Uh, everything I do is blessed. Um, and so anyways, all that to say, like, we we do think uh, civic engagement is a big part of this um, and, and necessary because um, it can't just be love everybody. We have to be specific about who is being hurt, what is being hurt, what are the solutions, because this isn't some hypothetical thing. Even though our church body, uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is 95% white, uh, these are still the kids in our schools. Uh, If they're not in your churches, they're in your schools, they're in your neighborhoods. Um, This is who we're called to serve right in our backyard. It's not some hypothetical thing. And even a step further, they would love to be, uh, so many of these young people, but even all across, just people in general, would love to be in our churches if they knew you know, the, the deep theology that we're able to share, you know, that depth of, of that focus on Christ and, and, you know, him crucified and risen, like how valuable that is and what that does for one's life to be showered by that grace and covered by his love in a way that then frees you to say, Hey, here are all the mistakes I made or am making and all these things. And the problem is we don't even want to engage the conversation because we don't want to step beyond, you know, these falsified boundaries that we've set, which are wrong, which are sinful. Um, and, and that becomes really problematic too, like a boundary of saying, well, we can't engage in civic engagement. It doesn't make sense, but we, we set it up because we don't want to have to do it. Oh, thank you. You know, Stacy and I had a really great time this semester. We were having a book club with the Black Student Union and our living learning community. We live on campus here at Concordia, Irvine, and uh, it's called the Honors LLC. And we had this conversation and uh, it wasn't perfect, but one of the, and, that, and I say it not perfect on our end in terms of how to set up a good uh, table for conversation. But one of the things that I think did work for us is that the ability for students across uh, all sorts of, uh, you know, with all their different backstories, they had rarely been able to be in a space that was able to hit these, these topics head on, but also do so in the context of this Christian love and intrinsic value of everybody, even people who had a racist accent or or were doing something that that they didn't realize was problematic, or they did. But the idea was that sometimes people don't want to face these issues and engage them because it does take a little bit of learning. You have to do some research, right? A lot of the ways that we've, especially in conservative white American churches, dealt with these issues is we find somebody online or a radio personality that's going to give us a quick response. Oh, and that's just virtue signaling. Done with that problem. That's just uh, uh, right there. That's just uh, critical race theory. Move on. Oh, they're liberals. They're, de- they're dealing with social justice. And, you know, so we find these ways of dismissing it, just as you say. Uh, but there's also, I, I really like what, Josh, you, you mentioned about distinguishing maybe politics and partisanship, because some would argue that yeah, you know, the teachings of Jesus are political, uh, if only in even a, a, a Christian anarchist way, which would be another conversation for another time. But just to say, it, it's still a political conversation to say that money, power, and glory are are uh, failed gods, right? That's It's, it's political to, to, to ride in on a, on, a, on, a, on a donkey making fun of another dude named Pontius Pilate who's walking in the same week on a war horse, it's political, even if it's a critique or prophetic critique of politics. So I like that, Josh. 
Yeah. And I mean, what you talked about, about money and power, I mean, it, it is about loosening Christianity. The call of the way of Jesus is about loosening your hand on, on all of the things that you think make, make you important, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and so that's part of the the calling of this, this work is just being open to, to loosening your hand. What, what are you holding on to that might actually be hurting somebody? And if they say, Hey, that's hurting me, uh, you know, can, can you let go of it? Um, but yeah, on, on, and on the political thing, you know, if you look at Zacchaeus, um, you know, Jesus works, <laughs> works in Zacchaeus's life. And uh, he right there, not only pays back, uh, what he had uh, stolen from people as a taxpayer, uh, but actually uh, paid them, uh, you know, a uh, more than what they were owed, you know, as a back payment. Uh, you know, this form of, of reparations that I bring that up to just say that's a tangible, the repentance has a tangible effect in the real world, in the real community. It's not just a um, spiritual forgiveness because, mm-hmm. If it's if it's just an empty forgiveness, is is it is it uh, is there any repentance or forgiveness there at all? Well, <laughs> so I'll answer Josh's question to be funny first, and then I'll I'll answer you know Jeff what you asked. Um, to be honest with you, I'm at a point, and I've been this way for some time. I guess maybe I was always this way, but I'm at a point where I'm like, we are doing what is faithful. So if somebody has a problem with it. Uh, you know, I've certainly pray for them, but they're welcome to leave. Like, that's where I'm at. You know, we're, I'm not going anywhere because we're doing what we're called to do. And, and, and Jeff, to your friend's point about, you know, wait till they kick you out. I'm like, good luck, because I, I don't see what the actual reason is, you know. Um, so, so I'm okay with that. But, but if people are like, well, I'm not going to stand for this. You know, they're certainly, you know, <laughs> it's like my mom uh, often said, you know, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you, you know? And, and so it's kind of like, you can go if you want to go, but I'm not going to worry about that because we're just trying to do the work of the church. And then, you know, um, in terms of advice for people, I look back at Luther, right? You know, uh, uh, sin boldly. So if you're worried that people are going to call what you're doing sinful, then sin boldly and be ready to desire forgiveness. But the truth is oftentimes the problem is that people feel that they're going to be called sinful. Um, but if, if you're, if you're willing to do the hard work, you know, and, and be there learning from those who are in it, you know, I, I thought that was so powerful what you said where you talked about, um, and, and Jeff and Stacy both have talked about this where, you know, you said um, you have people who are saying, and Josh, you said this too, I'm hurting and we're not listening to that, you know, and they have a story and they have these experiences that they experienced and we're not listening. If you're willing to listen, you're willing to do that dirty work and and that hard work, because that can be heartbreaking and and tear inducing and and it's challenging in so many ways, but you do that part of it. um, Then you can hear somebody saying to you, Hey, I don't like that you're doing this because it makes me uncomfortable and I don't think it's real. Like that all of a sudden doesn't become very bothersome. Um, and so I would say be willing to do the hard work on, on the, the learning end first if you're worried about how you're going to be able to speak to these things or it's not going to be met kindly, you know, in your churches or, or whatever the case would be. Go to the people who are hurting, listen to them, hear what they've gone through, hear what they've been through, hear their experiences. Because once you do that, the, the fears of what you're, you know, I look at it like this, right? It's, it's scriptural in nature. Perfect love casts out fear. And when you're experiencing and listening to someone's hurt and recognizing you can share Christ's love with them in a very powerful way that will help them to see that Jesus loves them as he, you know, as the spirit moves in you with his love, then the, the fear of everything else that could come your way isn't daunting because you recognize the beauty of the opportunity there. And, and for the person who says, well, but then I make it about me, then make sure you don't do that. Make sure it's not about you. You know, listen to those voices, amplify those voices, let the, give them safe places and spaces to tell those stories. And when somebody tries to act like those aren't a big deal or put those stories down or those kinds of things, that's when you step out. And that's where you step up and say, no, you're wrong and you're not listening. You know, because scripture is very clear. He's slow to speak and quick to listen. So we need to do that and be really intentional about that because that's who God calls us to be. So that, that would be my advice. 
our failure to take people at their word with that kind of statement is so frustrating to me that we sometimes, oh, you're too sensitive or, you know, uh, yeah, not listening to the, to the cries is, mm-hmm. is common. I mean, I would say it, it's interesting. And, and the only reason I, I think I have some inside I- information on this, and I know that this is a very sensitive thing to talk about. That is that I was discriminated against, discriminated against in Lutheran circles for being a minority, but it wasn't because I thought it was because someone explicitly said it. I won't say which seminary, I won't say which professor, but I was having, I was at a soiree. I was speaking somewhere. I was at a soiree. This Lutheran seminary professor says, Hey there, what's your last name again? I said, Balanson did not mention that my half of my family came over, uh, you know, from Germany, going to be Lutheran pastors fighting on the side of the, 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 the North for the civil war. My aunt, uh, ends up at uh, Concordia Bronxville. None of this actually ever came to me because by the time I was um, in high school, I didn't know that they had this Lutheran heritage, but I also didn't know that if I joined a specific denomination, which I did later on, that that would matter. So this Lutheran uh, professor says to me, hey, Mallinson, oh, that's an English surname. So you're a minority. You'll really like to talk to this uh, student I have. Now, by the way, I've got a PhD or I've got a, you know, whatever, my terminal degree from Oxford. I'm speaking at a conference two seminary professors, right? So I've got this kind of, at least on paper stature. And he says, I don't need to talk to you anymore now that I know your ethnic background. He says, you go talk to this Peruvian kid because he's stupid. And the only reason they let him into seminary is because we need to fulfill a quota of of, uh, students uh, that aren't Anglo or whatever. And uh, I, I, I cost at him because this is in front of the student. I'm like, what? I mean, this, I, I'd heard that some of you cats were, uh, uh, a little bit racist. I didn't know you were going to just come out and say it straight up. And, uh, and he says, well, this guy's, you know, ancestors worship the sun. And I said, uh, F you professor. So-and-so, um, your ancestors worship the sun. He said, yes, yes. But that, like that ended in, uh, Charlemagne's time, you know, it was like hundreds of years earlier, Like we're talking about, you know, now I'm talking, now you're in my neck of the woods, in the history, we're talking about a few centuries that makes you be able to be better than this person in terms of your paganism. And what does that have to do with anything? And this is explicit in our circles. And I'm more scared sometimes about mentioning who said that than that this guy probably is that he said that in public with a bunch of other dudes with collars around. Which means we're all complicit in it. And I know in a way, yeah. we didn't, we didn't say the thing, but we have, we are in an environment where that's okay. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's, that's that, right. That weighs on me. I mean, how, how, how much can you stay in something? This is something that Stacey and I, as we're translating the Tao Te Ching, uh, paraphrasing. Um, but we, we've, we've been in the deep in the research that, that one of the big questions for the followers of the tradition of Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching was always, to what extent should I allow myself to be an official in the government? And then to what extent do I need to leave? Right? So like, this is something Matthew must deal with. I deal with it all the time. And it was uh, another friend um, from St. Louis, who's not Lutheran, but knows Lutherans well. He went to Orange Lutheran, uh, Josh Swamidas, who is a, um, a scientist. And uh, but, you know, also a Christian. So that's how we know each other. Um, and he uh, he said, I'm not allowed to quit. He said, that's that's how this talking about talking about you. me. Right. So he said, no, you can't quit because you don't like the, the, the scenario. Like that's that's your that's your scene. That's your calling until they kick you out. You got to you've got to keep putting the goodness into the to the system as best you can. But not everybody agrees. And not not always is he right. Sometimes you are by by simply not, like you know this is this is what everybody has to deal with it. At what point do you say I'm endorsing this other stuff as long as I'm not at least on record as as, as saying something else? But that then takes us to the question, another question I've got for you, gents, which is sometimes people want to say okay, right? Like to the to the question, Josh, you know, do you have all the answers? Of course, you have all the answers, but but the, the the thing that almost is worse than than having a christological heresy might be to to speak on something and then have people say i ah, see you're this is about you right this is about you and you're a social justice warrior and all this other people are going to see this and say well maybe i'm nervous about implementing these things in my own community my church or whatever i don't want to be called a social justice warrior can you can you speak to like what's your advice to people and how would you you know kind of respond to that 
negative criticism, which doesn't really seem like a criticism. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I, I do want to say, like, uh, in jumping into this, I had that fear was part of it. And I said, OK, I'm going to get labeled as whatever. And that's fine. Um, but the other the other fear was, am I? Uh, is this a form of white supremacy of me going, hey, listen to the <laughs> to the white guy um, who thinks he knows what everybody should do? Um, and so part of the challenge of this process has been uh, how can we create a safe space uh, for uh, div diverse voices to speak up um, and then, you know, de de decentralize, uh, you know, my voice as much as possible. Um, anyways, I, I bring that up to say, like, I, that is a concern, um, but something else I acknowledge going in was going, okay, I'm going to make mistakes. And I have almost every day The I, in this podcast, I've said things that aren't uh, necessarily super helpful. Um, I, I think it's just, you know, for me, the, the um, humility and self-awareness, hopefully to go, okay, yeah, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to do better. That doesn't undermine the hurt that it might have caused. The, uh, that's something with implicit bias, you know, that um, or, or with bias in general that uh, we kind of have to unpack is that intentions don't, um, you know, people say like, oh, he has good intentions or she has good intentions. Um, and somebody else says that they were hurt. Uh, all that matters is the hurt. <laughs> and and uh, so it does, it, it is a humbling process to to go through um and admit that but it's kind of necessary for the work and you said and you said you said the opportunity thing matt of like uh th that's something we talk about too like in the on the one hand yes like uh you know we've talked about like being complicit the the behaviors of our churches and our schools and our communities do directly link to the societal issues that we're talking about. And that's why we need to start with the introspection and the learning on our end. Um, but it is an opportunity too. I, I don't think it's something, you know, we don't think it's something to be afraid of. Uh, what a great opportunity for the church to be able to speak into a moment where the world is listening. The world is like wants somebody to speak into it. And yeah. the church is, is greatly equipped uh, to do that. Yeah. One of the things too, from our book study, we had talked at the beginning, you know, of the whole series that we did. Um, and many of the uh, white students had talked about that they, you know, they were really afraid to kind of join this discussion, but largely because they were afraid of doing it wrong, um, having this, you know, discussion wrong. And we started out from the very beginning saying, you know, we are, you know, we're going to do this wrong. Uh, we're not going to try to, but please, when we are doing it wrong, let us know so that, you know, we can learn from it. And the, but the other thing that the, the listening piece is so huge. If we can just be quiet for a little bit, listen, then we're less likely to be doing it all wrong. But I, I do think that when, yeah, the perfect love casts out fear that was, you know, that if you're coming to this conversation or to somebody in love, then even if you are doing it wrong, they will see your heart in it. At least our students have been very charitable. Yes. It was, that was nice to see. Yeah. And I think that if, if doing it wrong stops you from, you know, starting to be, you know, make yourself vulnerable enough to listen, then I think that that's something really that is worth overcoming <laughs> um, because you can't move forward if you, if you can't, you know, take that first step of some kind. I will, I do want to ask, um, I know you, we mentioned obviously that, um, you know, with your, your work, is there, are there positive stories of things that you have that um, has come from, you know, your, your work with Lutherans for Racial Justice? So many. Um, yeah. And I'll let Matt jump in too. Yeah. I'm sorry we get hung up on uh, <laughs> sometimes the negative things. Uh, I mean, um, we had a, a, a book club last night talking about uh, uh, Isam McCulley's uh, Reading While Black, which is, um, you know, just a book about um, the the great history of of Black theological thinkers and what we can learn from them. Uh, it was it was a really emotional conversation. It was really eye opening and great. Um, and then you know there there are churches uh, we should say like around the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and schools that have been at this work for longer much, much, much longer than we have. Um, when we came around, uh, we weren't saying, hey, we're the first people to talk about this, but maybe we can help amplify those voices. Um, and so there are 
churches around the country that um, big and small that are doing amazing stuff. I always hesitate to mention names because as soon as I start mentioning them, I leave out uh, uh, 50. So I'll, Matt, I'll defer to you if we should mention names or not. <laughs> Let me just say this to, to, to plug our own uh, spot where I'm sitting behind me is a door and behind that door is an empty office. And in that office, we'll uh, be very pleased to have Dr. Catherine Gelship come out. She's been um, uh, hired next year to join our department here in history and political thought. And what was really interesting about when uh, when we were talking to her about inviting her out here was all of this really interesting research she's done on the fact that the Lutheran tradition also does have some exciting moments of people doing good work. The problem is they they kind of lost the the center of gravity in terms of of some of the the conversations in conservative Christianity, conservative Lutheranism. But it's not it's not as if every single person has ignored these issues. It's that a lot of things changed at the end of the 60s into the 80s. And it had a lot to do with economics and, and politics and all of this and where the church wanted to position itself. But I really like then bringing that back to what Matt said about this thing that we got to remind ourselves all the time that we've got the intellectual high ground if we're with Jesus and that and and, and I'm not saying that I'm always like just because I believe it, I'm right. But I'm but I'm saying we, we sometimes get into this game where, well, these are the people and they own the ball and this is the playground and they don't. This is the this is this is God's work. Right. This is the mission of God. This is the mission of God for the followers of Christ. And so instead of what all too often happens, sometimes people concede either ground or say that, uh, well, I'm going to just go and let you do this because I guess that's what authentic Lutheranism means. Even in the last 50 years, my colleague to be is going to be able to show you that, no, that in fact, that's not the only story and that there have been other uh, Josh's and Matt's and, and others, you know, over over the years in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, even for goodness sake, so that it's not like you're necessarily an outlier. And so sticking to your guns, I, I appreciate that. But Matthew, maybe you. Yeah, yeah, we got a, a number. I mean, just the positive stories. First of all, let me say uh, a big, uh, big shout out and hug to Dr. Galshut. She was a history professor of mine at Concordia. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. So love her. <laughs> She's great. And, um, you know, and she, she understands so much of this and has done some great work. Uh, her book on uh, Andrew Schultz is awesome. Anyway, so yeah, she's great. Um, Thank you. But uh, no, you know, there's been a lot of positive conversations we've even had where people are uh, two things that I can just highlight in my mind. Um, one is where people are really hurting and feeling on that edge of wanting to leave and have, you know, engaged us in conversation and said, okay, this is worth continuing in the life of the church and in the life of faith and in the life of our church body. Um, you know, seeing something that actually is going to make, you know, uh, an, it is going to impact people in a very direct way. Watching the gospel come alive in this way it has been, you know, um, has brought people from, from the edge as it were. And to me, like, I guess for Josh and I, it's been like watching the Holy Spirit do his work has been cool in that way. Like I often step away from those conversations like, man, God, like I'm just in awe of it, you know, like, kind of one of these God is awesome, but like in a very way of using that word, you know, properly. Yes. Um, I have, a, I have that, those moments. And then the other thing is not everybody's going to feel that this is a positive, but I do. And I've probably said it to Josh before. I'm thankful to see those people who are so against this be so publicly bold about it because <laughs> I appreciate the, first of all, the honesty. And then I appreciate being able to point to it to say, this is very real for those who are unsure, because that to me is something that's helpful when we're having these conversations, when the person says, I'm not sure this is real. I'm not sure this is happening in our church body. I'm not sure this isn't like a very much an outlier situation to be able to say, well, let me show you what we've experienced. And, you know, and you just tell us if we're crazy kind of, cause that's where it's gotten to sometimes. Mm. Um, and to be able to point to the countless, you know, uh, people who feel emboldened and, and you said it really well, who feel so emboldened that they're like, I like that our church body is 95% white. Stop trying to ruin it. I mean, mm. it, you know, without maybe saying those exact words have said it in different ways. 
I actually take that as a positive to say, okay, this is good work that God has called us to and moved in us to do that needs to be done. And we've been avoiding it for a long time, you know, as a church body um, and in our congregations and as people, these kinds of things, and even in our own personal lives. I mean, as a person of color, I recognize I was avoiding it because I enjoyed my comfort where I had it and these kinds of things. And, and being in, in ministry out here in New York City has definitely helped me recognize my own faults and failures because when you really want to care for people, you're dealing with people coming from not only diverse backgrounds, but diverse situations, you know, and, and, and to be able to recognize, Hey, we get to share Christ with them and then, you know, be the hands and feet of Christ as it were. Um, you know, that's a really powerful opportunity and a gift, but it also means you got to be uncomfortable and you got to be willing to, you know, uh, get down and wash people's feet, you know, um, whether literally or figuratively speaking. And, and I think that to me is a positive thing to be able to say, yes, it's real. Um, but it's okay. It's okay. In the sense that we don't have to be afraid of it, you know? And, and so some people wouldn't say it's positive. It's like, well, we wish it weren't real. And I'm like, I agree. And God Mm -hmm. willing, there's, you know, there's a day that it will be less real. And obviously at the end of all of this, you know, in the new creation, it won't be real, but until then we got work to do, you know, it's, it's harder when you can't see what work there is to be done. So it is, there is something about it when, when it is staring you at the face, but I must say, I am incredibly thankful to both of you for the work that you're doing. This is, very important and i can't thank you enough so to you and to all our good listeners peace upon peace oh, thank you so much friends for joining us for this episode of the protect your noggin podcast you want to join in on the conversation we'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show you can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much. Yeah, that was a good answer. Just use Matt's answer. You can edit mine on it.